We are continuing this series in the book of Daniel. It's called Exile. And the reason it's called Exile is because it's trying to embrace life as it really is. You know, not, we don't necessarily live in a culture that embraces all of our convictions. We're going to really talk about that today. Pretty blunt, pretty straightforward. But Daniel, um, man, he was a part of the uh, Jerusalem uh, Israelites who basically started giving themselves to idolatry. They did not listen to the voice of the prophet named Jeremiah. They did not repent. They did not return from their idols. And the Babylonians came in and literally wiped them out. Bad stuff. Loaded them up uh, two months across a desert in chains and shackles. And Daniel and three other guys, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they, sort of, they sort of got... A, a special treatment. They got to kind of serve in the king's royal court. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. How do you do in those environments? When your culture's wiped out, when everything that you have conviction about is gone, what do you do then? Well, that's kind of where we pick up the story. So, so I have a question for you to kind of kick it off today. How many decisions do you think you make in a day? How many of you would say more than 20? Yeah. You know what scientists tell us? They tell us when we're conscious, that you, not when you're sleeping. In one day, you make about 35,000 decisions. That means in one year, you make 12 to 13 million decisions. Just turn to your neighbor and say, no wonder I'm tired. I mean, <laughs> that's a very real thing. I'm exhausted. Your brain is working all the time. You make decisions that you're not even fully aware of about temperature and life and color and what you like and don't like and if you're going to have a waffle with ice cream or bacon or all these decisions going on in our, in our mind. I, uh, I think I make decisions in a lot of different ways. The, probably the biggest factor, probably for all of us, would be you make decisions based on experience, right? I, I remember one time touching a hot stove and I, I've never done that again because I learned that it was hot. And they warned me it was hot, but I found out for myself that it was hot. We read warning labels, at least I do, you know. This is poison. You will die, you know. Um, we make decisions based on desires, sometimes healthy desires, sometimes not so healthy desires, feelings that we have. How many of you have ever made a decision based on peer pressure? Yeah. Yeah, we all probably have. They did it. How many times did I say to my mom, you know, everybody's doing it. My mom, classic line, mom, dad, here we go. If everybody jumped off a cliff, would you? <laughs> I've actually used that with my kids, just so you know, when they were little. But Daniel and his friends have been, been taken from all they know, and even their spiritual lives changed. Babylon was filled with idols. They did not serve the one true God. They had nothing to do with him. Matter of fact, they tried to abolish the name of God as Daniel knew it. How do you cope in an environment like that? How are you going to live? Are you just going to live mad? Are you just going to stand up every day and yell at people? Well, in his case, he would have been beheaded. So he had to learn how to pay attention to the signs of the time. And that's kind of where we're going today. So if you have a program, go to the back, follow along. The first thing I want you to write down, first couple points we hit a little bit on last week, but I want to kind of refresh you. Daniel lived, number one, with resolve based on conviction. I want you to take all that in because it's a very important 
kind of two-part phrase. You live with resolve, not resolve based on peer pressure, not resolve based on what he felt was best, but based on conviction that he had from his faith in God. And that's a huge thing. Let me just read it in verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. He had a, a kosher lifestyle and he could not eat and follow his faith and follow his convictions, the food that the king was trying to have them eat. Now, Daniel was not trying to be rude. It's very important for us to know. He wasn't trying to be, you know, oh, give me what I want. Um, I grew up, I don't know how you, how many of you grew up being told you're going to eat what's put in front of you? Yeah, so I sure did. A matter of fact, my, my dad was a pastor on the Western Slope in Grand Junction, Colorado, and there were five of us kids. And it was in a day and age, and, and some people still do this, but nothing like it was back in those days, where everyone in the church at least one time wanted to have the pastor and his family over for dinner, right? Just to get it over with, mostly, honestly, I think, just to get it over with to say, yeah, we had him over 10 years ago. We did it. We did our thing, you know. Um, but anyway, I can remember, I can literally remember going to people's house for dinner all the time. And we had this big station wagon where the back seat faced out. How many of you know what I'm, it was so awesome. And uh, matter of fact, we should, we should bring that back. I think that would be cool. And I love sitting back there. We'd pull up at the house and my parents had this, I can hear it as though it was yesterday. Kids, whatever they serve us today, you're going to eat it. If you take it and put it on your plate, you're going to eat it. Be careful what you put on your plate. And I remember so many times praying it was, you know, something besides okra. You know, everyone had a fresh garden, you know, and, and they wanted to show us their fresh garden. So I, anytime we went into a house and I saw a dog running around, I was happy. Because I learned the trick of off the plate, under the table, real fast. But, but Daniel, he wasn't trying to be, you know, uh, Rudy, he was just passionate about this lifestyle he was living that God had asked him to live. He had a conviction and therefore he made a resolve. When I, when I think of people in our culture, how many people really live by the convictions in their heart? I, I'm doing this because of a conviction in me. Not just it's a good idea, not just a maybe, but I have a conviction in my life and therefore it's going to impact what I do. How about these phrases, okay? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What's that about? When in Rome, <laughs> we, see we have all these little phrases and you know what they kind of mean? They kind of mean you really don't have to live your convictions today. We're, we're going we're gonna to kind of let you off the hook and let you do some things here that you normally wouldn't do. It's going to be okay. And if you knew all the stories of those days and those moments that I get to listen to that started a pattern in someone's life that led to destruction, you would pay attention in your life to not participating in those days. Why? Because conviction means I have a resolve and it's not going to change regardless of what culture I'm in. It's a, it's a refreshing thing what Daniel is doing here. So many people are making decisions based on what their friends think, what social media says, instead of a conviction that this is how I want to live my life. Teenagers, young people, think about 
your life now, young adults, the patterns that you are setting in your life will go with you. And as I've said so many times, who are you becoming? Daniel's like 17 years old. And, and he's made this resolve to say, I'm going to do my best to live out my convictions. All right, let's move on. Number two, Daniel's decisions would in fact have repercussions. Now, I might just throw out all of our decisions. Every decision you make in your life has a consequence. Would you agree with that? And sometimes the consequence is to you, and sometimes it's to others. And that's, what's, that's the case in this story. Look at this. In verse 9 it says, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. He liked him. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. <laughs> I, and he didn't want to be beheaded. Can you imagine? Yeah, so, so it's a very important thing. Daniel's request to avoid eating the king's food was impacting not only Daniel, but it could cost this guy his life. Now, Daniel wasn't trying to get this guy killed. The king's servant was in a very tough situation. He wanted to honor what Daniel wanted to do, but he had a loyalty to the king based on fear, not respect, but fear. He's going to lop off my head if I do this. Every decision we make has a ripple effect. We need to weigh carefully what our decisions are. You say, well, that doesn't matter. This is my decision. This is my life. Well, think, think that through. It might just impact more lives than you. And, and, it, and it matters. Now, the next point is, is very creative by Daniel, and it's where I want to spend the bulk of our time today. Number three, Daniel attempted resolution by negotiation. Now, that really sounds like a compromise, and it is a little tricky, so I'm going to ask you to listen to me carefully. I don't want to be misquoted about this, but it's very important that we get this right. He attempts resolution to live his life, but he also is going to negotiate with this, this attendant and see what happens. He throws it up in the air and says, let's try something. Here we go. Daniel, verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Wow, this is, this is crazy. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion, and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Wow. Now, I've got to make this statement. This is absolutely about vows, not veggies. Okay? Daniel was in a kosher lifestyle. Any Jew Jewish person would understand this. And the Bible is not, some people try to use this as a proof text that we should all be vegetarians and it's a, it's a horrible way to, to use the Bible. So that's not true. So enjoy a steak once in a while, but eat your veggies, okay? Very important. 
Daniel comes up with a brilliant idea. He doesn't just stand up and say, I know my rights, because he had none. He, he doesn't make a stand. He doesn't come to the king and say, you don't understand. I want to be true to my culture. doesn't do that. He says, let's try something. Matter of fact, if you've been around Timberline Church very long at all, you have heard me say this dozens of times through the years. Clear back before we even built this facility. Every time we start a new ministry or we try something new, we, I, I, I've stood in front of you so many years and I've said, here's what, here's what the ministry is. Here's what we think it could be. Um, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll go back to what wasn't working before, right? Yeah, and that's a pretty good rule. So I love the flexibility of a church like Timberline to say, why don't we have some food trucks come? Let's try it. Who knows? Maybe we'll meet some people we wouldn't otherwise know. Let's try Backpack for Kids. Let's, give, let's try Royal Family Kids Camp. Let's try this new ministry. Let's, let's make this happen. Let's do this. Let's try this in our city. And, and all of a sudden, we have a ton of ministries that you guys are good at because of the flexibility and the willingness to try. We do not always need to become militant in our convictions. We can have our convictions, and we should be true to our convictions, but we don't have to be militant about it. i, I got to be honest. I'm going to be really blunt here. I'm embarrassed sometimes by the behavior of so-called Christians who just tee it up in a political arena to blast everybody. And they're so angry that, in my opinion, they lose all their influence because there's no self-control. You know, 80% of the New Testament teaches us to have self-control and disciplines in our life and to love people. And when I see Christians going off on this path of blasting everybody, and, and, and there's no bridges being built at all. We are called to be bridge builders. Daniel did not make a stand. Daniel didn't come up and say, I've got to share with you my conviction. As a matter of fact, let me really be blunt. Maybe you sharing your conviction is really overrated. Maybe that conviction is for you and not for everybody else. Just think about that. Just chew on that. I think of, of when Paul went into this city called Athens. They were polytheistic, many, many gods, hundreds of different gods. And he's walking around the city and he's seeing all these idols. And Paul could have stood up and said, I'm telling you, you guys are idiots. What do you think you're doing worshiping these stupid dead idols? But he didn't. He found a shrine that had an engraving on it. You know what the engravings? You can read this in Acts chapter 17. It said, to an unknown god. Tells you about Athens. The people had so many gods that they didn't want to leave one out. So they put a shrine there saying, to the one we don't know about yet. And Paul, in his brilliance, gathers people around and says, you know that shrine that says to an unknown God? Guess what? I know who that God is. And I want to tell you, his name is Jesus. Oh, really? He said, yeah. And he told them all about, what did he do? He built a bridge. He didn't just condemn their lifestyle. He built a bridge to them. This is so important in our culture. Daniel works with the king's servant. He says, let's try this. Would you consider this? I don't want you to get harmed. I'm not going to put you in harm's way. But would you give us 10 days? Sometimes we are in a culture where we need to think about what we have in common with people more than what we have that's way different than people. 
And I think we can build bridges a lot quicker. You say, well, they, they don't, they, they, I mean, some of you have jobs in a really hostile environment. I get it. I, I think of some of our higher education systems. I think of some of the places some of you work. I, I talked to someone after the last service who was from the Bay Area, and he told me a story of, of his workplace. And if, if anyone even mentioned the word, I'm not saying the whole Bay is like that, but just in his situation, it was very anti and I, and I felt bad for him, but he said, I learned to be quiet. I learned to trust. I learned to listen to people. What would happen if we said, tell me your story? Instead of, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> right? Tell me your story. What happened? What made you come to those beliefs that you have in your life? And maybe listening is all we need to do in order to build a bridge. Because we can't lead anybody to Jesus. Did you know that? How do people come to faith? The Spirit draws them. And when you lay it all out there and the Spirit isn't drawing them, you sound like a cuckoo clock. We need to be more sensitive and pay attention. Now, number four is, is the power of Daniel's patience. Daniel experienced revelation from God. He was patient. He was kind. He didn't try to make a stand. He didn't try to, you know, make someone mad. He just, he just existed, and he just did what he was told to do, and God gave him favor. Now, look at what happened, because God blessed him. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect, and this was interesting, of literature and wisdom. This is the literature of their day. It's not the Bible. It's interpreting the literature of their day, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now listen to this. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Here they are, holding to their convictions, keeping their mouths shut, paying attention, and they had favor, the favor of God. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and what else? Balanced judgment. That, that's a sign for us. Wisdom and balanced judgment. He found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians, enchanters in his entire kingdom. So Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, which was his whole life basically. Wow, how do you do that? I think about some of the things that Daniel had to do in his life in order to see this, this happen. I, uh, I think about God giving Daniel favor with the king. D Daniel, didn't, Daniel didn't go ask the king for favor. <laughs> Follow me on this. Daniel let the opportunities come to him. He, he, he was aware of what was happening and he didn't run into the servant and say, can I see the king, can I see the king, can I see the king? Can I interpret a dream, can I interpret a dream? I know the meaning, I know the meaning. Can I tell you what I think? No, he kept his mouth shut. And the king called for him. You know, I've learned as a pastor, I gotta tell you, man, you know what my primary job is in leading a church like this with the great staff that we have? It's checking doorknobs. 
Sometimes I feel like there's 10 doors lined up for opportunities for Timberline Church in a community like this. And I, I feel like God says, check the knobs. And I just check it. Well, that one's locked. Guess what I learned years ago? Do not knock down the door that is locked. Have you ever done that? I have. It's no good. No good. That one's locked. <laughs> that one's locked. At least for now. Oh. Hello. You walk through that door and all of a sudden there's an opportunity. There's an open space. And guess what I usually see as a pastor when I get inside there? Ten more doors. <laughs> if we could learn to have the sensitivity to walk through the doors that are opening for us instead of trying to, to, to bash them down. Because so, we got to have our people, we got to say our mind. If we could pay attention to this, it would make a big difference. Daniel pursued the doors that opened. He did not, and he remained faithful. We're, we're in the middle of this in, a, in our city. If you followed the news, you already know this, but many people have, don't really read the newspaper anymore. But... The city of Fort Collins had this free the nipple campaign two or three years ago, which would allow women to be topless in the city of Fort Collins. Our mayor did not want that. Our city manager did not want that. Our city council voted it down. And I believe the majority of people who reside in Fort Collins would not want that. However, through a turn of events, if you've been watching the news, you know that just these last couple of weeks, Two judges have ruled that it's unconstitutional to prohibit women from being topless if they choose to be topless. So now Fort Collins is in this space and two judges decided for all of us. How do you feel about that? I'm not saying you shouldn't write a letter. I'm not saying you can't get involved. I'm just telling you, this is a sign, this is a little tiny taste of what Daniel lived with his whole life. When something is forced on you, you have to make a decision about how you are going to respond. Can I just tell you, what's written in this book, the Holy Bible, is offensive to people who do not embrace it. It's, a, it's offensive. And God is not calling us to be offensive. He's calling us to live this book. And a lot of believers are not getting that right. We are called to build bridges. So how are we going to do that? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, everything in me right now is just saying, God, show me a way. How can, can I have dialogue with someone who would embrace a law like this? And maybe live it out and experience it. How am I going to respond? And it matters. And I want to build a bridge. And I want us to be a church that's a safe place for people to ask questions. We've got a lot of talks, even this fall, about gender identity. About so many of the things that are happening in our culture. I'm in the thick of this right now in a big way. And we as a church need language and we need to be trained. And so... Watch for this. Pay attention to this. We're going to try to help some of you parents who have teenagers who are struggling with their sexual identity. There's all kinds of issues out there in our culture. 
How can we be godly in our response and not just angry? I have to say this because it's the flip side. In the book of Daniel, just in a few weeks we'll talk about this, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that take a stand. They say, we're not going to bow down to Baal. We're not going to bow down to this idol. He's not the true God. You can't make us. And the king said, yeah, I can. You're going to die if you don't. They said, okay, we'll die. What do you do with someone like that? And, and they weren't trying to convince everyone else not to bow. They were just following their convictions. So I know, I know there are times in our lives when we take a stand. If the day would come when someone says in this country, you either deny your faith or we're going to kill you, then I would have to die. But that isn't the case. And I, I pray it never will be. But they took a stand because it was everything they believed in. But we need the wisdom of God to know which time to take a stand and which time to listen and be gentle and be loving. Here's two questions I want you to ask yourself as I wrap this up. Ask yourself these questions. Number one, do I make decisions from conviction? Do I make decisions that come out of a a true heartfelt conviction of how I want to live my life? Or does it change depending on who I'm with? Well, it's Friday night. If I go out with these guys or these gals, I know what's going to happen and I'll just keep my mouth shut. Or do I need to follow my... It doesn't mean you tell everyone else your conviction. It might just mean you shouldn't go. The wisdom of that. Pay attention to that. The second question is, am I willing to let God prove himself? I don't know, you guys, this is a real conviction on me. Do we talk too much? We are to proclaim the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. But can God prove himself to someone? Maybe, maybe you're the person who can build a bridge to that person so when the spirit does begin to move on their heart, you haven't burned all the bridges away because you're so mean to them. We are so mean to them. But how can we instead let love live in a, in a real way, in a powerful way? This is a hard message because in our independence, especially in our country, we've been taught that this is my right, this is my freedom, this is what I can do. And for some reason, the next step is we feel compelled to tell everyone else what our opinion is. And sometimes I think God's saying, just why don't you just be quiet and love people? Why don't you talk to them about who they are and how they came up with this conviction? Let me take us all back to the beginning. We started today with a question. How many decisions do you make in a day? I've made some decisions in my life. Thank God, not too many that, you know, destroyed who I was. But if I could go back, I'd probably change a few decisions. Anybody else? <laughs> I probably would. But you can't. I can't go back and undo all that. I, I might have the consequences of some of those decisions for the rest of my life. But here's, what, here's the good news. I can start fresh today. I can make good decisions starting today. I can draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, from this day forward. It's one of my favorite wedding vows. From this day forward. Oh, there's a lot of stuff back there. Woo! But how about now and forevermore? I'm going to walk into that 
and you make a decision that you're going to honor God with your life and you're going to live with resolve and you're going to follow your convictions and you're going to love God and you're going to love people. Lord, we thank you today for Daniel. Thank you that he, he challenged the system in a way that could be negotiated and not just defiance. Show us what that means for us in a culture like we live in right now. Take us to a new place in our mind where this is very real and every day it changes our Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at work with people, our neighborhood. Teach us. Let us think about these things this week, oh God. We need to listen to you more. Would you just under your breath right now just say, Lord, I want to listen to you more. I have opinions, but I'm going to just, I'm not going to proclaim them unless I feel you really prompting me. And then the second one is, I'm going to live with resolve in my convictions. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to have a double life. Do you know how many people have double lives in our culture today? I'm not going to have a double life. Lord, we, we offer this to you. And for anyone who's separated from you that just needs to know you love them, right now, would you just let your spirit draw them to you? If that's you and the spirit's drawing you, would you just yield to him? Say, yes, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you everything I am. I trust in you. Lord, we are grateful. We give all this to you under that name of Jesus. We pray it with resolve. And everyone said amen.